Amen. Today we celebrate Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And this is essential to the gospel. This is essential to the good news. In fact, it's essential to the message of the Christian church around the world. And so, of course, this morning we're going to preach on the resurrection of Jesus. But I want to approach it from a different angle. I think this is my eighth Easter sermon here as your pastor. So, you know, you want to sort of try to change it up a little bit every year, but still talk about the resurrection. I want us, in a sense, to look at the burial first, the burial of Jesus. So Jesus was buried on a Friday. He sat, his body sat, laid in a tomb all day for Saturday, and then early, early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, as the sun began to rise and the women approached the tomb, Jesus rose from the dead. But the burial of Jesus, interestingly enough, you might say, well, why is that important? It's in all four Gospels. Um, Actually, there's only one Gospel. uh, Four different accounts of that same Gospel. Uh, They're all similar, but they have slight differences. They come at it from a different angle. But yet all four of them mention the burial of Jesus. Later on in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 15, there's a description, a definition of the Gospel. And guess what it mentions? The burial of Jesus. And if you grew up using the creeds, the great creeds of the faith, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, they mention died and was buried. Why is the the burial of Jesus so important? Well, it's really about what those who follow Jesus did during that time. They followed him through death until they found him. Look with me. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark 15, 42 to 45. And you can just follow it on the board if you want. Um, it's, uh, there's a Bible probably in the pew in front of you too uh, But just a short section of scripture We're going to be fairly brief this morning So we can get the kids out there And on their way having a good time So this is Mark chapter 15 Starting at verse 42 We read this And when evening had come Since it was the day of preparation That is the day before the Sabbath Joseph of Arimathea A respected member of the council Who was also himself looking For the kingdom of God took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. In summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. 
see the place where they laid him. It's an outline in your bulletin. Someone like Some of you guys like to follow along and maybe take some notes or just see where we're going. Feel free to take a look. Like I said, we'll be fairly brief this morning, but verse, verses 42 to 45, it takes courage. It takes courage to follow Jesus. It takes courage to follow Jesus. We learn about a specific follower of Jesus named Joseph. This is, I said, Good Friday, the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And Joseph goes to Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor in charge of the crucifixion, and he asks for the body of Jesus. Now, who is Joseph? Uh, we learn he's from a town called Arimathea. We don't know much about that city or that town. Um, this is not Mary's husband, Joseph. Very different Joseph than that. Joseph was a common name. We learn right here that he was a respected member of the council. The council is the Sanhedrin. That would be like the Senate. It's the, the ruling group over all of Israel. We learn from the, uh, the Gospels that he was wealthy. He was a rich man as well. Mark describes him as looking for the kingdom of God. Um, what does that mean? Is he, is he a believer or is he not? Well, good thing we have the other Gospels too. They describe him specifically as a follower of Jesus. But John adds, but secretly. Uh, he, he wasn't an open follower of Jesus. He was afraid of the consequences of claiming that he followed Jesus. But then we see here that the, his moment comes. He goes to Pilate, probably the most powerful man in Jerusalem of that time, and he asks for the body of Jesus. Now, usually it would be a family member of somebody who was killed by capital punishment that would go. But Joseph here has perhaps some political pull, has some reputation with Pilate, and he able, he's able, as we read here, to get the body of Jesus. Pilate grants the body to Joseph, which is unusual, probably because Pilate knew that Jesus was an innocent man in the end. And what we may miss is that took courage. <laughs> now, why does it take so much courage to do this? Uh, first of all, you have to understand, not everybody had courage back then. Uh, the women did. We're going to look at them in just a bit. Uh, but most of the apostles, they're out hiding in a locked room. So they don't have a whole lot of courage at this point in time. Uh, but understand, Jesus was not well received by the Sanhedrin. That council, that very council that Jesus, I mean, that Joseph sat in, um, is the very one that accused him of blasphemy against God and rejected him as any type of prophet or holy man or Messiah or anything else. And now here it's Joseph coming out and saying, I want to get his body. I want to pay respect to him. I'm a follower of his. Even harder than that is Pilate himself. Pilate, the Roman governor, found Jesus guilty of high treason. Uh, basically, someone who claimed in, to be a Caesar, someone who tried to overthrow Rome. Associating yourself with a crucified criminal is not a good idea in the eyes of Rome. But Joseph has had enough. No more secrecy. No more hiding. It's time for me to put all my chips on the table, <laughs> to use an illustration. Now what happens to Joseph? The Bible doesn't tell us. We don't know what consequences he faced for this. Instead, we're pictured here with an example of true discipleship. To say, I'm coming out as a follower of Jesus, regardless of the consequences, and come what may. That's what it means to follow Jesus. We are called to openly follow Jesus. Now, I'm not sure here on Easter Sunday where you're at. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. Um, just I want to say we're glad you're here. 
I'm thankful that you've decided to spend Easter Sunday morning on 2019 with us. Hopefully this is helpful for you. Uh, Maybe you're seeking and you want to find some answers about the Christian faith. Again, very thankful that you're here. Maybe you've been disappointed by some Christians you've met that have been not like Joseph, half-hearted in their faith, saying one thing but acting in a different manner, not really following Jesus. I'm sorry about that. That should not have been your experience. But sadly, there are many out there who are like that. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian and you are open about it. And maybe you have paid some price for it. And I know that some of you have because I've had those conversations with you. You're all in. (laughs) You're all in when it comes to following Jesus. I just want to say, keep going. (laughs) You're in good company. Joseph of Arimathea is with you. And then there may be some here who are in the same place as Joseph, pre-burial of Jesus. You're sort of still secretive about your faith. Maybe you're still sort of hedging your bets when it comes to the Christian faith. It's time to be bold. It's time to be clear. It's time to claim your faith in Christ and make it known. That's what baptism is. We just experienced a baptism. That's a public declaration of faith. That's why we as a church, we believe in obedience to the scriptures, wait until a person is old enough to have a professing faith that they themselves have come to trust in Christ. We wait until then, until we baptize, because then they understand this is my public declaration that I follow Jesus as my Savior. Let the world know it. Let people know that you follow Christ whatever the cost. That, friends, is what true discipleship, true following Jesus looks like. And our brothers and sisters around the world perhaps understand this better than us. And those in Sri Lanka, maybe more so than almost anybody today. 1546, all kinds of people follow Jesus. Uh, All kinds of people follow Jesus. You notice that about this text here? Joseph and the woman, they take care of Jesus' body. Uh, Joseph takes his body, wraps it in a linen shroud. And you might say, Pastor Rick, is this the shroud of Turin? I have no idea. (laughs) And I don't really care that much, honestly, if the Shard of Doran is genuine or not, because it's really irrelevant to the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. He takes him and puts him into a tomb cut out of the rock. Uh, That was not the typical type of burial place. This is a very special, very wealthy type of tomb. Um, Actually, it's Joseph's own tomb. He gives up his own tomb for Jesus. Few people would be able to be buried in such a place. Friends, an honorable death is a a big deal in the Jewish culture. Um, He washes the body. In order to wrap it in linen shroud, you wash the body. You can imagine his blood-stained body. And respectfully lays Jesus' body in the tomb. Uh, Little did Joseph know that this actually fulfills prophecy. Uh, Isaiah 53 says specifically that the Messiah would be laid to rest. That his body for the resurrection would be among the rich. So Joseph, probably unbeknownst to himself, is fulfilling centuries-old prophecy. And of course, the Easter story, the stone rolled away, and all of that would be incomplete without what Joseph did that day. In fact, I have a few pictures of, of what the... What, there's two places actually in Jerusalem, uh, outside of Jerusalem, that they believe that Jesus was actually laid to rest. The first one is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So maybe some of you guys have been there. Uh, they turned this into a big, huge Catholic church. People come there from all over the world. They wait in these long lines, about a two-hour line probably, to get 
into that uh, sepulcher and to take a few minutes to look around. And there's a lot of evidence that that may be the actual genuine place of Jesus' burial. The other one is called the garden tomb. Um, we have a picture of that as well. Uh, kind of looks, probably looks more what it would have looked like at that point in time because so much has happened around the other one. Uh, but this is probably what it would have looked like. This is stone that rolled in front of that opening. Um, and I remember we went there and I went into the tomb and a picture of inside the tomb. Um, and what a moving experience. Again, I don't know if that's necessarily the place of Jesus' burial. But when I went in, I went in with the poriers who are here. And there was a lady on her knees just praying her heart out. And there was a quietness in there. And I almost just became overwhelmed with tears inside of there. Just thinking about the fact that Christ was laid to rest for these three days and conquered death as he rose from the grave. We learn, friends, that Joseph plays this important role in his burial because he followed Jesus. But then we learn about these women as well. Uh, there's Mary Magdalene. And by the way, uh, there's no hint of anything romantic between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. I know Hollywood likes to keep hitting that same drum. I think it's another movie that you're going to again. Sorry, but there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that whatsoever. Uh, it's just not there. Jesus. Uh, then there's the mother, Mary the mother of Joseph. Uh, Joseph is another name for Joseph. So another Joseph, not this Joseph, not the husband of, of Mary, another Joseph sort of walking around. And the, then we later on learn about Mary, the mother of James, and this lady named Salome. So this group of women. But we notice there, I think it's important that the Bible presents us all different types of followers that follow Jesus. Think of the stark contrast between these two. You have Joseph. He's a man. In that culture, gave him a place of prominence. He's wealthy. Not many people were wealthy back then. Uh, he's a respected member of, uh, in, in society. He is in a position of power on the Sanhedrin itself. And yet he is a follower of Jesus who puts all his chips on the table. And then we have the women. They were considered second-class citizens in that culture, sadly. Um, in fact, their, their testimony would not even be uh, admitted in a court of law. So, which kind of shows you the truth of this story. You wouldn't make up a story in which you would make women the first witnesses of the resurrection because that wouldn't even be valid in a court of law in that culture and society. You add to the fact that Mary Magdalene in particular had a bad reputation. We learn about that in Luke 7. She was one who had seven demons expelled from her. And if she's the same woman in Luke 8, some people connect those two, she was herself a sexually immoral woman, or maybe even a prostitute. Eventually the disciples do come out, by the way. They do become bold. What are the disciples? They're fishermen, they're tax collectors, they're zealots, they're a whole mixture of people. Fittingly, right at Jesus' burial, you have a variety of followers because that's what we see throughout history as well. All different types of people follow Jesus. All kinds of people. Jesus, Jesus welcomes all types of followers. There's no one type of Christian. And those who want to say that Christianity is a, is a Western religion. Uh, Christianity arose in the Middle East. <laughs> it arose in the East. We got it from the East. That doesn't even make any sense. It's not tied to any ethnicity. And I love the fact that our church is experiencing perhaps a diversity that we have never seen. I love the fact that I got to baptize my Puerto Rican sister this morning. What an awesome blessing that is. It's not tied to any race. Even in the United States, uh, the founding pastor of this church, Hezekiah Smith, in the 1700s, he would go and preach to the white landowners of a church and then afterwards preach to the slaves of that same congregation. And of course, 
Even in the, the history of slavery, we see a rich tradition of Christian worship. It's not tied to any geography. You can go to any continent on this world and you will find Christian churches meeting in worship. We just talked about Sri Lanka there in the south of India. It's not tied to any time period. You can go to the Middle Ages or the earliest days of the Christian church. And of course, even pre-Christ, there was faithful Israel for throughout the centuries. It's not tied to any class. In fact, that's a big thing in, in, in uh, cultures that make a big deal about class, like India and Nepal. When somebody follows Christ, you have some from the higher upper echelon classes, like the Brahmins, who follow Christ and get rejected, but put Christ first in their life. Friends, it's not tied to any age. You have children who can explain the gospel better, perhaps, than almost anyone else. Jesus said the kingdom belongs to such as these. You have those who come to faith in their midlife. There are those who come to faith. My first baptism here was of a 69-year-old man who came to Christ for the first time. You have people who are farmers, people who are PhDs. Uh, one of my heroes is C.S. Lewis. Maybe you guys have heard of C.S. Lewis. At his time period, he was considered the most well-read man in the world. <laughs> in the world. The, the Cambridge-Oxford professor, C.S. Lewis. You have kings and you have peasants who follow him. And friends, he calls each of us to follow him. If you're thinking, well, I'm not his type. <laughs> Sorry, but you are. There is no non-type to follow Jesus. He welcomes all to himself. And then finally, all who truly seek Jesus will find him. All who truly seek him will find him. 16, chapter 16, verses 2 to 6. Those who seek him find him, or maybe better, Jesus finds them. Early the first day of the week, Sunday morning at sunrise. This is why, by the way, Christians worship on Sunday. It would take something this important to change worship from Saturday to Sunday. Because Saturday was such an important time uh, of worship. It takes something as big as the resurrection to make that type of change. The women go to the tomb. Um, I love the fact that they don't know who's going to move this extremely heavy, multiple hundred pound stone. And yet they still go. Right? Who's going to move the stone? I don't know. But let's go anyway. They're trusting God's going to provide some way. I don't think they knew how he was going to provide. Uh, that when they get there, the stone is already rolled away. Perhaps by the earthquake. Perhaps by the angel. And they, see, they look in the tomb. And they see a young man wearing a white robe. This is most likely an angel. I think pretty much any commentator would say this is probably an angelic visit here. He says, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here he is risen. Friends, Jesus is risen. Uh, the interesting thing about Mark's gospel, out of all four of them, is he doesn't describe any appearance of Jesus. He leaves it here. And some people think because the ending of Mark was lost. Others say because he wants to leave it to you. He doesn't want to have to go into all the resurrection appearances. You should know at this point, if you followed his entire life story in the gospel of Mark, and you come to this point in which the tomb is empty, do you believe, do you recognize that he is risen? But I'm going to fill it in. <laughs> he is risen and eventually he does appear to the women. Then he appears to the disciples. And then he appears to a crowd of 500 people. Making it clear that this isn't some hallucination or some sort of ludicrous theory. Uh, that he appeared um, in, in some sort of uh, dream or something like that. No, 500 witnesses saw him. All that Jesus promised. The first fruits of the resurrection for all of us. The heart of the Christian faith comes together in that one Sunday morning. And those who follow him are not disappointed. They see the risen Christ. 
And friends, that is still true today. All who follow Jesus genuinely will find him. All who really want to know him, and I mean really, not just lip service, he will show himself to you. That's his promise. If that's you, talk to him. Pray to him. Read the Bible with an open mind and an open heart. Keep coming to church to learn. Ask good questions. And Jesus will show himself to you. Friends, at our church, that's what we want to do. We want to share this good news. We want to speak it loudly and clearly and widely to everyone and anyone who will listen. Trusting that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is at work calling people to, God is calling people to himself. That's why we do local outreach right here in our city, offer free meals and clothing and do prison ministry and nursing home ministry. We want to love people, we want to do good, but we want them to know the risen Christ who saves sinners why we do global missions and send missionaries around the world that people who've never heard the name of Jesus might come to know him. We're called to follow Jesus in life and till death. Like Joseph, it takes courage to openly follow him. He welcomes all types and those who genuinely seek him find him. You know, there's one thing that sets the Christian faith apart from all others. We worship a Savior who is still alive. <laughs> I showed you those tombs, those possible places of his tomb. But you know what, you know what the reality is? He was only there for three days. <laughs> it doesn't really matter that much which one was accurate. Now, this is different than any other religion or belief in the world. This is not in any way to speak negatively of these religions. This is, they would openly admit this. Buddha and Lao Tzu and Confucius and Vishnu and Muhammad and every rabbi and prophet and guru of history, they're dead. And most of them, they have sites you can go to visit and venerate a body. But as Christians, we believe Jesus is alive. And if he is alive, you can know him personally today. Those who seek him, find him. Pray with me. Gracious God in heaven, thank you for our opportunity to gather to worship your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we recognize this day that Christ is risen from the dead. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and he welcomes all who would to come. Father, help us here who do know the Lord Jesus, who are already in relationship with you, to be bold. To be open, to like Joseph, put all our chips on the table and say, I follow Jesus in life until death and then forever afterwards. And Father, in all this, may your name be exalted and praised. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.